Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Getting hit over Baghdad with a surface air missile is not something I ever expected. Every bit of training, all the hard things that you've done in your life lead you to this one moment. And I feel like, you know, for me, that re- really reinforced this idea of, you know, preparation and putting in the work because you never know when your moment is going to be. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is a beautiful day here in North Carolina, and we finally got some relief from the heat, and I spent the morning working in the yard and enjoying this cooler weather. As a reminder, this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Ignite Management Services and Liberty Strength. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. Also, I want to encourage you to join us on our growing YouTube channel. Search for Deep Leadership on YouTube for videos of all my interviews and exclusive content. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about how to lead with courage. And my guest is retired Air Force Colonel Kim Casey Campbell. Kim knows a thing about leading with courage. She has flown over 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog, including more than 100 combat missions protecting troops on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan. We sat down and talked about the fighter-pilot mindset and how to lead a team through a crisis. This was a fascinating conversation with someone who has led thousands of airmen, taught leadership at the Air Force Academy, and has been on the front lines uh, of leadership. And I know you're going to love learning from Kim like I did. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kim Casey Campbell. Kim is a retired Air Force colonel who served for over 24 years. She has flown over 1,800 hours in the A-10 Warthog, including more than 100 combat missions protecting troops on the ground in Iraq and Afghanistan. In 2003, Kim was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for heroism after successfully recovering her battle-damaged airplane after an intense close air support mission in Baghdad. She is the author of Flying in the Face of Fear, a fighter pilot's lessons on leading with courage. And I'm excited to have her on the show to learn from her experiences. So Kim, welcome to the show. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It is an honor to meet you and uh, it's an honor to hear your story. So I'm excited to have you on the show and just learn from your long, your long career in the military, the leadership lessons you learned, and uh, in some of the more uh, adventurous parts of your career, of course, as well. We can't lose. Yeah, absolutely. So, but first of all, tell us about your military career. Why did you join the Air Force in the first place? What drove you to become a fighter pilot? Because you have to have drive to want to do that particular job. Yeah, it, and it all started in the fifth grade. Um, when I was 10 years old, um, I'll date myself, 1986, uh, in... Uh, in school watching the launch of the Space Shuttle Challenger. And I think many of us probably realize and remember where we were that day. Um, for me, there was this something like, I was super excited about the launch. I was, you know, it was just this exciting moment. There was going to be a teacher in space. And then watching really the tragedy play out in front of me, I mean, I was devastated. I, you know, I didn't know any of the astronauts, but I felt like it touched me personally. And, you know, I, I didn't quite understand it then, but talking with my parents, uh, my mom who was an oncology nurse. She, you know, just sat and talked to me about, you know, this idea that there are things in life that you're worth, you know, that are worth risking your life for. There are things that are bigger and more important than yourself. And so at fifth grade, I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to be an astronaut. And my dad, uh, he had spent some time in the Air Force. He was a graduate from the Air Force Academy. You know, he, he listened to me say that. And he said, well, a lot of those, you know, astronauts were pilots and many of them went to the Air Force Academy. That's something you might consider. I don't think he realized that I would just take it at base value. And so I was like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. And so fifth grade for me was like this switch. And I decided I was going to the Air Force Academy. I was going to be a fighter pilot and then ideally someday go on to become an astronaut. Uh, and so it started very young, a very young age for me. And uh, I just became driven and everything uh, for my parents became a whole lot easier because I would do my homework. I volunteered for all sorts of extracurricular activities. And it just, it was a switch for me. I found, I found my drive. I found this passion and this goal that I was going to go after. Yeah, yeah. You know, Angela Duckworth says grit is uh, passion and perseverance. So when you have deep passion for something that you desire in your life, you're willing to go through anything. And going through anything, going through the Air Force Academy, first of all, not easy, right? Going into, you know, you know, getting into the pilot program, getting, you know, getting through the pilot. All these were hurdles that you had to get through. But as you mentioned, you had a passion and you were willing to persevere through that to get to your ultimate dream. Yeah. And there were moments of doubt. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I First off, I got a rejection letter from the Air Force Academy. You know, after all that work and all that preparation, I got that rejection letter. And, you know, that was devastating. And sometimes, you know, that's the time where, it feels easy to quit. It feels easy to give up on it. And thankfully, I was surrounded by people like my coaches and mentors and parents and uh, teachers who just pushed me to go after it and keep after it. And, uh, you know, I eventually got my acceptance letter uh, very close to the time where I was supposed to attend basic cadet training. Uh, and then even with flight school, you know, I finally get to the academy. I perform well enough there to, to get a flight school slot. And then I get to pilot training and I struggle with air sickness for like the first three weeks. And it's again, this doubt of like, am I really meant to do this? And it just, you kind of got to dig deep and go, yeah, this is what I want. And I'm willing to, you know, take some, you know, little punches along the way. Um, but it was what I wanted. And even those challenges, um, you know, if anything, they maybe propelled me more and gave me more drive and motivation to perform um, because I, I felt like I 
almost had to prove myself like I belonged. And, um, you know, I just decided that's what I was going to do. And you did. <laughs> you <Yeah>. persevered. <laughs> so let's fast forward. I mentioned in the introduction, you know, you had, uh, so we had a war on. So we, yeah. so Iraq, Afghanistan, you flew more than 100 combat missions, as I mentioned. Uh, you were awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for Heroism. Wow. Uh, what did you learn about yourself going into combat, going into these situations that you may not come back? Uh, you had a situation you almost didn't come back. Yeah. Uh, what did you learn about yourself through that process? I think sometimes we doubt ourselves a little bit or we, um, it was, for me, it really cemented this idea that sometimes we are more capable than we think we are, right? We're more, we're capable of doing these amazing, incredible things because of the work that we've put in. Um, I feel like that moment, I, you know, I, it's getting hit over Baghdad with a surface to air missile is not something I ever expected. You know, that situation yeah. is just not in the realm of like, you know, we talk about it, brief brief to it, but it's kind of one of those things like, oh, that'll never happen to me, right? We're fighter pilots, we're invincible. Um, but I feel like in that moment when it's every bit of training, all the hard things that you've done in your life lead you to this one moment. And I feel like, you know, for me, that re really reinforced this idea of, you know, preparation and putting in the work because you never know when your moment is going to be. Now, Ideally, it's not getting hit with a missile over Baghdad, but I think we all face those moments in our life where we're, you know, we're pushed to our limits. We're, you know, everything, all the training, all the preparation, we have to have it all come together at one moment. And I think for me, having that happen early in my career was actually really beneficial because it taught me some incredible lessons about the preparation and everything that went into being prepared for kind of a worst case scenario. Do you think it helped you be a better leader uh, in the rest of your career as you had that, you know, pretty, you know, intense situation early in your career, as you mentioned, but, you know, further on, you're leading a lot of, lot of people. How, how did that affect your leadership later on when you were faced with tough things as a leader, having that in your background? What, what did that do for you? Yeah, I think sometimes uh, the more you do hard things, the better you become at doing hard things. And I think, you know, I learned in that moment, you know, in when you're faced with a challenge, when you're faced with stress, when you're feeling overwhelmed. I mean, one, I learned the importance of having a good wingman, having somebody by your side to provide that mutual support. And I think that mutual support is critical in that moment over Baghdad for me, but I think it's critical in our personal and professional lives as well, that we have that one person that is going to have our back, that is going to hold us accountable, that's going to push us and encourage us. Uh, so that was one part of it. But the other thing, for me, as I had an exceptional leader during that deployment, I was a young wingman in the unit uh, when we deployed to Iraq. And our leader was one that was really hard on us in terms of pushing us to be our best because he knew we had to perform at our best to survive and then help our troops on the ground survive. But he cared so much about us. I mean, he really, like, you could feel it. And, you know, he'd be the first one to, like, you know, give you a hard time if you, you know, something didn't go quite right. You know, he'd let you know about it, hold you accountable. But he was also the first person when we'd have a farewell or going away, we'd have to hand him the tissue box because he cared so much about the people on the team. I mean, it just, it was this, um, this strength and warmth that came together in a very, very confident, confident and competent leader. Interesting. I hope leaders, you're listening to that because that's something that, you know, 
you know, the, the, the best leaders in our lives, you know, they lead, leave an impact on our lives. And that's a leader that made an impact in your life for sure. Just hearing that story. Uh, and, you know, leaders who are listening in, are you making an impact and the people around you like that to where there's a tissue box and that, that when somebody leaves the company or what have you, that's give me chills just hearing that. So I love it. Um, one of the things I was going to mention, uh, you finished your military career. You headed up the Center for Character and Leadership Development at the Air Force Academy. So tell us what you did in that role, because that's, this is an interesting thing, because you were at the, at the Air Force Academy teaching leadership or being responsible for making sure character and leadership develop happens with the cadets. Tell us a little bit about that role. Yeah, what a great opportunity to finish out my career. I mean, I, I started at the Air Force Academy. It very much felt like life coming full circle in many ways. And for me, um, I'd actually planned to retire. I um, had made the decision to retire and I got a call about 10 days before my final out-processing appointment where we separate. And it was the superintendent of the Air Force Academy asking if I would stay an extra year. <laughs> and you know, I kind of laughed for a second and he said, I want you to be the director of the Center for Character and Leadership Development. And I was like, you know, if there was one job, one job in the Air Force that would, you know, where I would, there was no doubt in my mind that I would stay. This is it because I'm passionate about leadership and this idea of giving back to this next generation of leaders. I mean, it was just, there was no way I could say no. And, you know, the opportunity to be around some amazing people and an incredible team that are experts in leadership and character development. Um, I learned a lot about myself in that leadership role as well. Uh, but we are responsible for all 4,000 cadets, uh, as well as faculty and staff and the development of leaders of character. And that is our mission at the Air Force Academy to develop leaders of character. We did that through uh, a leader of character framework, and we really focused on helping develop these leaders so that, you know, when the time comes, they're ready to go out there and lead our young men and women in service. Uh, we help them first, you know, learn a little bit about themselves. We teach it in the format of live honorably, lift others, and elevate performance. Mm -hmm. And so we focus on kind of that personal, interpersonal level, leading teams, and then leading organizations. And we give them the opportunity to practice. We give them the opportunity to make some mistakes and and learn the hard way. Um, but uh, what an incredible opportunity. I'm, I'm thankful that I I had that opportunity to go back and and really serve the next generation of leaders. That's fantastic. I, one of the things I th thought when I was seeing that and I was preparing for this is, you know, wh why do you think this is? I mean, I think the military does spend a lot of time emphasizing and teaching leadership to these, you know, to young people, whether you're uh, young enlisted where you're getting more and more responsibility as you move up the chain or these young officers coming out of the academy, coming out of ROTC, they're coming in as, you know, they're coming in as a second lieutenant, as an ensign there. And they're uh, and and they have to lead on day one, you know, these young twenty-four-year-old, you know, you know, kid basically. Why do I, you know, why do we think we place so much emphasis on leadership in the military, but we don't see the same focus in business schools? Just your thoughts on that. It's kind of something I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think you know we understand. I think there's a strong emphasis on leadership because we know that leadership makes a difference on the battlefield. We know that a good leader can elevate the performance of a team. Um, it only makes, makes sense to me that in the business world, we do this as well. But sometimes I have found that there's an, this idea that either you've got it or you don't, that you're yeah. either going to be a good leader or you're not. And in my view, the reality is that we, we can all learn to be leaders. Yes, some people might be a more natural leader and it might come a little bit easier 
but I'm a, you know, I'm a huge believer in that we, we have to give the people that work for us the opportunity to develop and grow. I mean, that is, that is part of being a leader is encouraging those people that maybe, you know, are a little bit behind the power curve and helping them come up to speed and, and helping them, giving them some of those leadership skills and leadership opportunities when there are less, when there is less threat. Um, so I think it's this dichotomy. Sometimes we think that leadership isn't something that can be learned. And I, I think the opposite is true. And I think, you know, for me, I've spent 24 years in the military and I feel like I still have more to learn. You know, I yeah. still have this opportunity to, to learn and grow and develop as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, but business schools do a really good job on the hard skills, you know. Yeah. At, you know, you learn accounting and, and, and marketing and operations and legal and all this stuff. And, but there's the soft skills of leadership that we don't emphasize enough. And, you know, your example, you, you learn the hard skills of flying a fighter jet, but the soft skills of leading people. And, and you need it both to be successful in your job. And I think we can do both, is we can teach the hard skills and the soft skills as well, and they Absolutely. need to be brought together. Yeah, I think more and more. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you've led teams. I mean, obviously, you, 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 you got into a very senior uh, role, a senior officer in, in the Air Force. You've led teams more than 1,000 people. What are some things that help you be successful as a leader? You know, it's funny we were just talking about all this because it leads right in in terms of how I thought I should be as a leader when I when I first started out and then how I developed as a leader. And I think early on, I had this idea that, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, combat proven fighter pilot, right? Like, I should have the answers. I should, you know, I, I shouldn't have doubts. I shouldn't have uncertainties. You know, we should go out, we should execute, you know, kind of this tough, exterior. And, you know, what I realized over time is that is not what my young airmen wanted. You know, my young airmen wanted to see me for who I was. You know, the fact that, you know, I'm not just a fighter pilot, I'm a leader and commander, but I'm also a mom. I'm a military spouse. You know, these are all these different sides of me. And I, that is what allowed me to connect with my airmen more than anything else. You know, just getting to know them on that human level, you know, having that human level conversation, just really creating trust and building connections and getting to know people, find out where they, you know, what they value, what's important to them, but also where they struggle, asking their ideas, you know, bringing them into conversations, admitting that I don't have all the answers and I'm willing to listen and learn from my team. Uh, that to me was what over time I learned, uh, you know, sometimes the hard way with some feedback from some awesome chiefs, those senior level enlisted in the organization who are, you know, willing to give you straightforward feedback. Um, but I learned from my young airmen too, just in terms of what worked and what connected. Um, I had the incredible opportunity to lead airmen throughout South America, Central America, and the Caribbean in a wide range of missions and just getting to know them and learning from them. I mean, here I'm a fighter pilot, but I've got young airmen who are civil engineers and doctors and lawyers and air traffic control and logistics. I mean, that is not my area of expertise. Right. And so learning from them and walking around and, you know, getting in the forklift and learning how to drive it, uh, you know, all of these things, I think, really help create connection on a team. And for me, that is probably the best thing that I learned as a leader and that I developed over time was how to build trust and create connection. Credibility is important. It's got to be there. But how do you build that connection and create trust? Yeah, yeah, that's how they're going to follow you. You know, if they, they trust you, and, uh, you know, and I think, I think you mentioned somewhere, maybe it was in the book or maybe I was reading on the website, vulnerability, the, 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 say, the, the opportunity to say, I don't know, you know, what you yeah. tell me, you're the expert here. Tell me what you think. 
you know, I mean, and just being able to have that versus I have all the answers. You know, I think that's uh, that idea that that you go to your people who are experts and you ask their opinion goes a long way for them saying, oh, wow, she, you know, she's willing to listen to me. You know, this is yeah. this, 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 you know, she's willing to hear my voice. That's this is a great leap. You know, that is absolutely what it's about is, you know, finding the experts on your team, find those subject, subject matter experts, learn from them, get their ideas, get their input. And then, you know, again, the responsibility is still yours as a leader to make that ultimate decision, but get that input from your team. And, uh, you know, I learned that, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. You can be vulnerable. Even fighter pilots can be vulnerable. Even fighter pilots? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I got to talk to my buddies. My old That's not what they told me. So, <laughs> so. Well, um, your new book is called Flying in the Face of Fear of Fighter Pilots, Lessons uh, on Leading with Courage. What was your motivation for getting this book into print? Yeah, I never thought I was going to be an author. Like it wasn't a goal of mine until I retired. And, and um, you know, I realized looking back over the course of my career that so many people were willing to share stories with me, their experiences, their lessons learned. And it had a significant impact on me as a leader, as a pilot, as a parent. Uh, I just realized how important it was to share those stories. And I, I realized that when we have the courage to share those stories, to be vulnerable, right? To share the stories, the lessons learned, even if they expose mistakes or weaknesses, you know, the challenges that go into it as well, um, that has the opportunity to help other people. It helps lift performance. Uh, and so for me, it was this idea of I'm pretty passionate about helping others and helping other people be vulnerable in their leadership growth. So how could I not write it? You know, if this was an opportunity to share the stories and the experiences, the, the good and the bad, you know, the challenges, the successes, the failures, the mistakes along the way, um, if that gives someone just a different perspective or a new way to look at things, uh, whether you're a new leader or, you know, you've been around for a while and just looking for a new way to, to look at things. So... I decided to go for it and uh, and stuck to it. It wasn't a short process. It took me over three years to write, a year to publish. Uh, it, you know, that, that was not my area of expertise either. But, uh, uh, you know, now to have the book out and to hear the feedback and just the different people that it resonates with and connects with, it just makes all that hard work and all the writing so worthwhile. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by Ignite Management Services. Ignite is led by Mike Watson, who you might remember from episode 137. Mike and his team believe that everything starts with leadership, whether it's strategy execution or cultural transformation. It's the role of the leader to create the conditions for their people to succeed. The team at Ignite can help you develop critical habits to enhance your leadership capability and transform your business. Ignite Management is now offering the Resilient Leadership Assessment Tool. 
This is an online questionnaire designed to assess and guide leadership development, coaching, and team building. It provides leaders an opportunity to gain insights into their leadership strengths and development needs. After taking this assessment, you will receive a custom detailed report that provides practical and actionable recommendations to enhance your effectiveness. I have taken this assessment myself and found it to be extremely valuable in helping me make changes to my leadership approach. Right now, Ignite is offering 15% off the price of this tool to the deep leadership audience. Go to ignitemanagement.ca and enter the code START15 at checkout to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger at Liberty Strength. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. Your energy skyrockets, your sleep improves, your confidence increases, and more. But how can you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best people for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Liberty Strength in your corner. Jeremy and his team will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. I've worked with Liberty Strength for the past two years, and I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm still hitting strength personal records at 56 years old. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at libertystrengthtx.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The idea of passing down these stories is really important. And I think the idea of putting it in a book, I always think the, you never know who's going to be impacted by this. You know, you you have a circle of influence that you think you know, but when when you have a book that's out there, you create this bigger circle of influence, I think, than, than you realize. And I think it's that's why I think it's important that experienced leaders write down, you know, lessons learned, things that they learn. I mean, there's there have been 15,000 books written on leadership, and I think there could, should be, you know, 20,000. There should be 30,000. I mean, these, these are great for people to learn. We're going to, we should learn uh, throughout our career from the people who have gone before us. And, and yeah, and, and different books are going to resonate with different people. And, you know, for me, as I wrote the book, I wanted to be certain that, you know, these are not like the, this is not the 100%, this has to be the way that you do it. At the end of each section, I included what I just call a considerations for leaders. I just, it's consideration, something for you to think about. Um, but there's different, there's so many different perspectives and ideas out there. And you really have to find what works for you, you know, be that authentic leader that is confident that, you know, this is, this is what works for me because it's true to who I am. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
So what is a, uh, and this was uh, from the book, what is a fighter pilot mindset? I love this. Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, for me, uh, this fighter pilot mindset is something I've carried with me um, throughout my career because to me, this fighter pilot mindset is instilled in us in a very young age, very early in our careers. And it is this desire to excel, right? This relentless pursuit of excellence while also having the humility to know that you're not always going to get it right. And so it's a, it's striving for continuous improvement, always learning from those mistakes and failures along the way. We learn that really through the fighter pilot debrief, which is what we do after every combat mission, whether it's a success, a failure, or somewhere in between, we sit down and we debrief. You know, we have that open, honest discussion where we check rank and ego at the door so that we can learn from each other. We talk about what we did well, maybe not spend a ton of time there. Um, I think that is important as well. You talk about what you do well so you can repeat it. But then we really drill down into the mistakes and find the root cause, come up with those lessons learned, and then figure out what you'll do differently on the next mission. And then the key is you actually share those lessons with other people on the team. Um, For me, that is what instilled this idea of it is okay to make mistakes and fail. We push ourselves in training specifically for that, but we have to pull out the lessons so that we don't continue to repeat those mistakes. Mm-hmm. It allows us to adapt in an evolving and complex environment. Uh, and for me, I have used that not just in aviation in the flying world, but I've used that throughout my roles in leadership as well. It has been highly effective in a way where we can sit down in a, in a safe space to provide feedback, share lessons learned without the blame or shame. What's interesting about what you say is, you know, because I did, you know, my time in the military, then I did 22 years in corporate running eight different businesses. And one of the things I learned in corporate life was that we don't like to make mistakes. We don't want to make mistakes. We, everything has to be perfect. And if there is a mistake, we hide it. We, we, we run from it. Uh, you know, I, I, I talk about in my books, one of the things as a, as a naval officer, you learn to run towards fires. A fire in a submarine is not, not a good thing. So you run towards it, not away from it. But I noticed in corporate, we ran away from our, all our problems. So we did just the opposite. And the thing is, you learn deeply from your, not just your successes, but your failures. And I think the military does a really good job of what I call control failure. So you fail, and then you have those opportunities to learn, especially as a young officer, when you're first learning these things, you have a chance to fail a lot and learn a lot from senior people next to you. And, and I think those lessons, because you fail, they're more, they're more deeply entrenched because you don't want to do that again. You know, you don't want to be embarrassed by that. I really screwed that one up, you know. And I think yes. that the lessons are deeper, I think, than, than if you whitewash or you don't talk about the failure. You're just like, you know, you move on because you're embarrassed by it. But I think having those discussions, learning from your failures is a big part of becoming better at what you do. Absolutely. It's critical. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still, I don't like to make mistakes. I don't like right. to fail. You know, and it's still uncomfortable, but I also have learned over time uh, through repeated learning that, you know, some of the best lessons come from those failures and mistakes. You just have to have that right mindset. Yeah, I love that. That's so good. Um, So (laughs) this is an interesting question for, for someone who's been in your shoes. What techniques can you can you give us as leaders for staying calm under pressure? So leading our teams in crisis. Uh, leading our teams through a pandemic or, uh, you know, what have you, an economic downfall or all these things that we face as business leaders. What are some some techniques or some ideas that we can learn from from a fighter pilot? Yeah, you know, it's um, 
I've seen some really calming influences over time, um, flying A-10s in combat. And, uh, you know, it's amazing when there's chaos all around you and things feel like they're going wrong. That soothing voice over the radio to just say, we've got you, we've got this, and here's our plan, and here's what we're going to do. Um, you know, I've, I've been on the receiving end of that, and I've also been on the other end where I've got ground troops screaming for support, and I'm just trying to be as calm and composed as I can. And even though my mind and, you know, heart is racing inside, I'm just trying to be calm and composed for them to let them know that we've got it. You know, we've got a plan and we're going to execute. Um, I, one of the things that's really worked for me is this, uh, this technique that we learned early in our training, and it just helps us prioritize under pressure, prioritize during an emergency um, and it's not just military aviation, it's civilian aviation as well, but it's aviate, navigate, communicate. And aviate means we focus on what is most important first. In the air, that's flying the airplane. In life, it's what is that one thing that you have to keep doing? You know, what is that mission that you can't stop doing or you will fail? And then you can take that next step and navigate. What is the, where are you going to go? If you have an emergency, what's your next step? Where is that direction? Where are you going to go? Well, in a, in a crisis, it's important to know where we're going to go as well. We need to have a clear path for our team. We need to also understand the threats and the risks to our team and the mission, uh, similar in the air. And then we can take it to that next step, which is communicate. And communicate in the air now is reaching out for help, either to your wingman to let them know what happened. You can communicate to others to let them know that you need help, to let them know your plan. And I think the same applies in a crisis, probably perhaps more important in a crisis is just that communication of letting your team know the plan and reaching out if you need help. Uh, but it just helps me kind of focus, okay, when I'm feeling overwhelmed in the pandemic, for example, when there's so many things going on around us, there's all these things going wrong. What can I control? You know, what is most important? How can I center up and let some of these other things go? Easier said than done. But how do I center up and focus on what is most important? And then they can take that next step. Yeah, and I think you're right. You mentioned this idea of of being a calm influence too. And I think if we panic as a leader, I mean, I think we need we need to be vulnerable. We need to be authentic, but we also can't be panicking. You know, because because I think we are. Uh, you know, our mood is contagious, and so I think if we panic, everybody panics. So the idea of being calm in a crisis, but you know, again, I think I like the idea of you know, um, of, of setting your priorities. And I think, you know, aviate, navigate, communicate that that's, these, these resonate really well for business as well. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's this idea that you can say, this is a serious situation. There is a lot going on right now, but you can say it in a very calm way. And ideally you've had some time to take that deep breath, take a step back and kind of come up with your plan of action. But even in the moment, if you're, you know, suddenly faced with all of these things, you can just still remember that calm, take a deep breath. And sometimes the best thing we can do in the chaos is nothing. You know, we can take that step back, take some time to think. Granted, it's situation dependent, but sometimes the best thing is to do nothing and just take some time to assess the situation and then take appropriate action. Great. I love that. So uh, switch gears a little bit. What is a wingman culture? You, we mentioned wingman a lot. Wingman yeah. is your the, the person that's next to you, right? Um, uh, what is a wingman culture and how can we use that in our organization? Yeah, so I think we're all familiar with the wingman now because everybody's seen Top Gun. Right. <laughs> a Navy movie, by the way. <laughs> yes, I know. And one the Air Force should have taken a long time ago. I know. <laughs> Different story. And Navy did well with that. 
um, you know, the wingman is the person that has your six, right? The area behind you, you can't see. A wingman has a different perspective. They're looking out for threats. They're looking out for things that maybe you can't see because you're focused on what's in front of you. You're focused on navigating. You're focused on finding the target and getting to the target. A wingman has your back. A wingman sees those things from a different perspective. A wingman also knows the role that they play. They know where they fit into the bigger picture. They know the specific role that they play on the team and they understand that their individual performance is critical for the team's success. Mm. So this idea of a wingman culture on a team in any organization is, does everybody on the team understand the role that they play and how do they fit into the bigger picture? And we understand that we can push each other, we hold each other accountable because when we lift each other's performance, it elevates the performance of the team. It's this idea of, interdependence where we all are relying on each other to perform at their best. But it also is this encouraging idea of we know we're going to work together. We're going to support each other. We're going to push each other to be at their best, but we're going to encourage and support along the way as well. Uh, And I think, you know, it's built on trust. It's built on trust. And it is also built on a common and shared purpose. And when you have that, now you can help everybody better understand the role that they play, where they fit in, and trust that we are going to hold each other accountable. We're going to have our back. We're going to check six when we need it um, in order to elevate the performance of a team. Yeah, I think if you, um, I think if we operate, any, any of us, in, in anything that we do, if we know someone has our back, it just, put, it just gives you a different perspective, right? And I think sometimes there's cultures, I've worked in, col- in company cultures where you felt like no one had your back, like yeah. everyone was looking to put a knife in your back. And so you, it, was, it was one of those cultures where it was not, uh, you, you were very guarded in everything you did. But when, you, when you're in an environment where everybody has your back, you have a team, you can depend on each other, you have each other's back, then I think you're going to push for a m- much higher levels of performance than that you're not always just protecting yourself. You're willing to stretch because you know someone's there to back you up. Yeah, the performance is higher and hopefully you're you're happier and you enjoy work more because you're around a team that supports you and has your back. I think people stay on teams when they like their team, right? When they feel valued and respected and supportive, they stay. You know, when it when you don't feel that way, you're more likely to leave. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I have a, I have another question for you. Okay, first of all, the A ten is an ama- is is an amazing aircraft, and I, I, it, it's the coolest aircraft out there. And so you're, I think so. I mean, I'm totally biased, but I mean, you're <laughs> so you're you're a badass fire, fighter pilot. I just have to say that. So one one of the things I was going to ask you, you you were super successful in a field that that's dominated by men. I mean, men typically over time have been these fighter pilots, but you've been you went in there and you were very successful in what you did. You know, moving up to the rank of colonel. So you clearly, you know, mastered your craft and you were excellent at what you did. What are some strategies for that female leaders need to employ to kind of overcome some of the challenges of working in male-dominated environments? I, I work in the manufacturing world. I work in, uh, you know, we, we make product for electric utilities. This is, this is, you go to trade shows, it's all men, right? Yeah. So, it, but there's a lot of women that are doing really well in our industry. So what are some strategies maybe for how does how does a female leader uh, you know, overcome some of those challenges of being in a male-dominated. Yeah, and I guess I would say also, don't get me wrong in this. Like, I had my doubts going in. I, you know, I had my uncertainties and fears and a lot of pressure that I put on myself. I mean, when I went into my very first fighter squadron, I think there were something like 35 female fighter pilots in the entire Air Force out of about 3,500. So the numbers were small. I knew I was going to be the only woman. 
And there was part of me that just put so much pressure on myself. Like I felt like if I made a mistake or failed in any way that I was going to ruin it for all the women that followed me. And that is a ton of pressure. It's a ton of pressure that I put on myself. What I realized and how I learned these things was I walked into that fighter squadron and I was on a mission to be credible. I wanted to be the best fighter pilot that I could be. And I, I worked hard. I was in the books. I was in the vault learning about all you know the classified systems. I just spent a lot of time working my way up to be very credible in the airplane. So to me, that was number one. And I realized that the guys in my squadron, you know, many of them I knew from the Air Force Academy as well, but to them, they just wanted to see that I was credible and capable on the airplane. You know, that was the number one thing to them. And, you know, the jet doesn't know. The jet doesn't care about who's flying the airplane. And so for me, it was just kind of overcoming that initial fear, doubt, uncertainty, and the pressure that I put on myself. But that came through with credibility. So to me, that's number one. But I also think it's important to find your wingmen, right? To find your allies. Who are those people that are going to have your back, that are going to support you and speak up for you? I mean, how, you know, how nice does it feel if there is a comment made or something that may be a little bit negative to have somebody else stand up for you? I mean, you could think about this on the school playground, right? You know, instead of standing up for yourself, there's people around you that will stand up for you. That is so nice. And to, to have that support network, ideally within your team, but if not, then find it elsewhere. You know, for me, being the only woman in my fighter squadron, I had these amazing brothers on my team who supported me and believed in me, who had my back. But I also found support, if you will, outside of my fighter squadron and finding other women that were in the same unique position. And, and then we really could talk about some of those struggles and doubts and fears that we had. So I think finding your wingman is important. And then I also believe very strongly that Everybody on a team has a their own unique voice and perspective. You know, whatever it is, we all bring something to the table. So it's a little reminder. And again, sometimes easier said than done to have courage to speak up. When you're sitting around the table and, you know, if you're the only woman in the room, you provide a unique perspective. And so it's having that courage to speak up and be confident because you've done the work. You've put in the work. You've done the training. You've done the preparation. You are credible and capable people need to hear and that the team will perform better when they have those different perspectives and ideas. So sometimes it's taking that little bit of a, a shift in perspective of when you have the doubts and uncertainties, it's not about you, it's about the team and what you can offer the team. Powerful, powerful advice. And I hope that uh, the, those listening in that are, that are maybe in a, a, a female leader in a male-dominated world, these are some really great lessons uh, and, it, and it works. And uh, I think, you know, I've interviewed some of the first uh, female um, submariners, uh, submarine officers. I've had a couple on the show. And one of the things I, I realized is that, A, they had to do everything I had to do, right? And they had to deal with being the first of something, you know, like one of, one of, one of them mentioned she would walk down like, like a hallway on the submarine and, and everybody had been trained that there's, there's going to be females coming on board. And they all, the men didn't know what to do. So they were all like bracing against the, the bulkhead thinking, and she's like, no, I'm just a person. Don't, you don't need to do that. You know, so, yeah. so not only you had to do the difficult work of be, being competent in your craft, but also dealing with, uh, you know, people getting used to uh, like someone who, you know, a, a woman who's never been in this role before now is in these roles. I think it made it much more difficult. Uh, and so my respect for them and what they had to go through was just through the roof because you had to do everything I had to do, which is really hard. And you had to deal with that as well. So I think it's twice as hard. And I think those are great lessons to, 
that we can learn from that. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, what, fi- what final message would you, would you like to leave with our listeners? Well, I think I, I go back to this idea of um, really what it comes down to is we all have fear in our lives, right? And sometimes we don't want to admit it, right? We face doubts. We have uncertainties. We don't like to admit uh, that we maybe don't have it all together all the time. And I think as I look back on my career, there were many times where I kind of had that real excitement for something, but also just a nervousness about not meeting expectations or, you know, not living up to these expectations that I put on myself. It's the fear of failure. And sometimes that fear can drive us in the wrong direction, but it is all about what we do in those moments. You know, I think back to the days that I walked up the the ramp at the Air Force Academy for basic cadet training. I think about walking into my first fighter squadron. I think about taking command of my first unit. I, I think about these moments as a, as a parent uh, deploying for the first time with kids at home or having my husband deploy and I stayed home. Like all of these moments, there were doubts, there were uncertainties and there were fears. And sometimes I was afraid to admit it, probably many times. <laughs> The, the truth is we all face fears in our lives, right? It is this fear of failure, fear of not meeting expectations. Those are normal feelings. Those are normal responses. And it is really what we do with it. It is about having the courage when you feel the doubt and uncertainty to get up and do it anyway. That is what's most important. And for some reason, we are so hard on ourselves so much of the time. And if we would just give ourselves a little bit of grace and recognize that you can't actually have courage without some fear. So don't let the fear get get you. Take action and do it anyway. I love that. So powerful. I love that lesson. Um, Kim, this has been fantastic. Um, again, listeners, uh, I highly encourage you. The book is called Flying in the Face of Fear. If you really want to dig in deep and learn a little bit more about what that's like uh, to, to be fighter pilot, be in these combat missions, be in the uh, you know, be sitting with Kim and, and learning and her from her experiences. I really highly encourage you to, to, to check out this book. Um, and so how can our listeners find out more about you and this new book? Yeah, uh, best way is to go to my website, which is kim-kc-campbell.com. Uh, there are a lot of Kim Campbells out there. So the, the KC is my call sign. So that helps uh, at least distinguish a little bit, but my website and then uh, the book is available Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Barnes and Noble, wherever your favorite local bookseller is as well. Um, and also, I would just say reach out on LinkedIn. I, I love to hear from people that have listened to the podcast, who hears it, and maybe has a question uh, that we didn't get to. So I would love for you to to reach out and connect with me on on social media as well. I love that. We're going to put links in the show notes for all of those resources. Again, I highly encourage you to check out. Kim's book, check out or connect with her on, on LinkedIn. Go on her website. There's a lot of great stuff on her website. I highly encourage you to do it. So follow the links below here in the show notes. Kim, I want to thank you for coming on the show and really sharing your unique perspective on leadership and the lessons you learned uh, throughout your long Air Force career. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid.